Yo, yo, this is Jason Goff from the Full Go Podcast. Me and the crew, we like to entertain you. And we're going to do more of that this football season because the Bears should be more intriguing. There should be more fascination. Justin Fields, is this the make or break year? Is DJ Moore the piece that's going to put them over the top? You can catch us on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays or when we have an emergency podcast when we have breaking news. Make sure you follow the Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page in the post and bet live same-game parlays for every. NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in president-select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome to the week four episode of the Ringer Gambling Show, the Friday edition with my good buddy, Joe House. House, how are we doing here as we welcome in the weekend? Sharpie, you you got your Wi-Fi back, so we're already catching W's here. There was some concern about how we were going to make this podcast magic happen. But the more interesting thing to me, let's talk about these Detroit Lions. Let's talk about this Thursday night football game. The Lions are now Warren Sharp 11 and 0 against the spread in their last 10 divisional matchups and they all of a sudden own the Green Bay Packers. This is their fourth straight outright win. The Lions are 10 now 11 and 2 against the spread in their last 13 head-to-head games against Green Bay. Sharpie, this is not your grandma's Detroit Lions. No, absolutely not. It's pretty shocking to me how dominant they were in this performance. Um, Now, I actually had no action on the side or the total in this one. The only thing I had was the under the longest rushing attempt for A.J. Dillon. Um, But I was so I was watching this as a relatively neutral observer and you know, the stat comes out at the end of the game that Dan Campbell is the first coach, head coach of any team to win four straight games against the Packers in the last four decades. Um, and this was a team that, you know, Aaron Rodgers used to own this division, used to run all the teams, used to have a success against the Lions, against the Bears, obviously. And now the Lions are the ones that are taking control over these matchups and uh, I, I got to say, it's very fun to watch the shoe on the other foot here as a neutral observer, just because um, 
it's exciting to see new things happen in the NFL. Now, that said, I had a future on the Green Bay Packers, long shot to win the uh, NFC North. So it would have helped me in that regard if the Packers would have won this game. But I was not interested in any action on it, House. How did you think, how did you feel about the refereeing in this game? Because I saw a lot of problems here. Uh, and the NFL really does need to clean this up. This is a first year official. And he was pretty problematic, in my opinion. Yeah, so this is a thing that we talked about uh, on Monday after the week three games, the, the reminder that uh, you really need to start factoring in the variance that comes from um, the refereeing and the inconsistency that you get game to game, play to play in terms of the kinds of calls that they make, the circumstances under which they make it. And your group is one of the groups that I think I, I shouted out even on the Monday show about there, there are, there's information out there about the referee crews. You need to factor that into your handicapping of these games. You need to know the identity of the crew chief and his crew and their propensity for calling different types of penalties, because it absolutely is impacting these games. We saw it in a number of games Sunday and we saw it again tonight, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Alan Eck was this referee uh, and he definitely had some trends that favor um, teams in a certain direction. He's a first-year ref, though, so it's hard to build up a lot of data on him. One of the games we're going to touch on tonight, House, obviously is going to be a big-time ref angle. I'll be able to share that when we get to that game. But there's no doubt I got a guy on my staff who handicaps the refs and has a lot of history on the refs going back decades, studies what types of penalties they call, who they call them against, do the games tend to go in favor of the home team, in favor of the road team, in favor of the more physical team, in favor of the less physical team, in favor of the over or the under. All of these things we're looking at, and they are angles that you have to incorporate a little bit. Like every single angle, though, House, it's never the singular factor and no, alone no, no. reason for you to handicap something, but absolutely is a factor that gets incorporated. I personally was very frustrated when I saw the clock. Like a lot of people wonder like, why are you rooting for this? Are you rooting for that? No, no, I'm just, I just want refs to do their job the right way. You know, these guys get paid a lot of money. There's, there's fucking like eight of them, seven of them on this crew, like figure it out and get the calls right. And for them to, allow that one snap by the Packers where the clock clearly reached zero. Then they come in afterwards and they said that this is not like a play clock where there's a little bit of like, oh, well, I was looking at the snap. Then I looked at the clock. And so there's a little tick that they're allowed to get after the zero zero. The ref analyst who usually backs the refs to no end actually came out and said, this is a complete miss. They should have, they got to blow the whole thing dead. As soon as the game clock hits zero, there's no extra half a tick, which clearly there was more than a half a tick. And there was a 44 yard bomb that then the Packers end up scoring a couple plays later, a touchdown. And, uh, I was obviously upset with that. And then the most egregious one, well, I, that was the most egregious. One of the most annoying ones, the latest flag I've ever seen, House, was <laughs> I've never seen a flag fly this yeah. late. The 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 Lions end up getting set, stopped on third down. They kick a field goal. Uh, they kick a field goal, and on that field goal, Quay Walker jumps over the center and touches the back of the center. And they count the field goal. They do their little outro. They go to a whole commercial break. Then they come back from the break and they're like, 
oh, we're, here's, a, here's a new penalty. We've got to get the Lions offense back out on the field. And then the Lions go in and score a touchdown. And I, I, don't, I do not care if I had any action on this bet, on this game, but I don't think it's right for these types of things to happen. You got to be more on the point for that. And speaking of points, like these things were leading to points and I'm running this thing on my website uh, where you use the coupon code points and you get uh, the, as many points are scored in the game off of anything on the website through the end of the day Friday. And so I'm sitting here texting you guys and like, I just could not believe the the way that they were adding up points late in this game, obviously it started off early. I mean, the, the Lions were just, it was like three and out, three and out, three and out. The Packers could not move the ball at all. And, and getting back to the game itself, the one thing I want to get your opinion on house is it's kind of difficult to handicap the Green Bay Packers to an extent because this is a team whose passing attack is very much inconsistent because Jordan Love has the highest target depth of any quarterback in the NFL. And basically what they're doing is they're just chucking bombs down the field. They're hoping to get pass interference. They're hoping to maybe connect. They don't really have an efficient, consistent underneath passing attack unless they're throwing screens to Aaron Jones, which they weren't doing tonight, obviously uh, not enough, clearly. And those plays, whenever they did throw them, didn't have much success. Uh, this is just like a really big hit or miss offense. And the Lions have a very underrated, just a note to move forward on, the Lions have a very underrated run defense. One of the best in the NFL at preventing yards before contact per rush, which really is a great indicator statistic for those of you guys out there who want to think about, you know, what type of stats should I use in my handicapping? Yards before contact per rush is a great stat that correlates heavily with how many actual yards are going to be gained on a play. And so if you're a defensive line that gets penetration or that pushes back the offensive line and prevents these running backs from getting their uh, head full of steam going and moving down the field without being touched, you're generally going to be able to limit those explosive runs and, and limit a rushing attack. And they absolutely bottled up the Green Bay Packers rushing attack, made them very one-dimensional early on, first, forced a lot of punts and just took control of the game quickly. Well, the game was over at halftime. The Lions were up 27 to three. The Lions had 40 plays. The Packers had 22 plays in the first half. The Packers had 20 yards. The Lions had 284 total yards. The Packers had seven rushing yards in the first half. The Lions had 121 rushing yards in the first half. The Packers had uh, 13 passing yards in the first half. The Lions had 163. I mean, you can go right down the line. You can't get a more lopsided first half. The Lions owned the line of scrimmage defensively and offensively, and that was it. There's not enough time in an NFL football game for uh, the, the the Packers to come back from that 27-3. to They won the second half 17-7. to This is the second consecutive week that they um, go in at halftime down a significant number and then come back and look like they have a little bit of life. And I know there are injuries on their offensive line, so it's tough to your point, to your original question, to really pinpoint what's going on with them. Aaron Jones back, Christian Watson, his first game, he catches a touchdown. Uh, but, you know, there's those injuries on the offensive line really hamper the ability to suss out the identity of the Packers. But why don't we just give the flowers to the Lions that the Lions have earned? They're a badass football team, right? 
They are. They're fun. Their offense is dynamic. We love Ben Johnson. This is a pro Ben Johnson podcast. This is a baby it Ben is. Johnson becomes a, the head coach of the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders next year for wait, our producer, wait, Mike wait. Oregon. Wait a minute. Well, there's a we, there might be a coaching vacancy even closer to home. With our feet. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Who knows? There you go. Old, old, old Ron, maybe riverboat uh, is, is certainly that riverboat is drowned a long time ago. That that, that thing is a kayak, uh, you know, taken on water. But um, th- no doubt about it. We we don't know what the future is of the Packers. I hope they do turn some things around. But one thing's for sure, though, House, David Bakhtiari is not coming back anytime soon. Today, they put him on injured reserve. So he's out at least four games. Uh, this team, Jordan Love, they, they were so good at keeping pressure off Jordan Love early on. And it's clear that once he does get pressured, he is really affected by that pressure. Um, and it does, it has not looked pretty when he's been pressured over the last couple of games. Um, and w- with that said, House, let's pivot into uh, some of the teams that might be under pressure. We got these divisional matchups here this week, and I know you got some interesting trends for us. What do you got in store on the trend side of things? Yeah, well, I went into the Warren Sharp Analytics website and I saw that divisional dogs through the first three weeks are 11 and six against the spread. That's 69%. Nice. The best win rate since 2018 and also uh, nine and seven out right now. We have to update those numbers because the divisional dog in tonight's matchup, the Green Bay Packers, were on the wrong side of the spread and on the wrong side of the straight up. But we still have six more games um, to take a look at and consider. And, you know, it's just an interesting observational situation. The, the marquee game of the week, Sharpie, is indeed a divisional matchup. The Miami Dolphins going up to Buffalo with revenge on their minds. With their turbocharged offense dropping a 70 burger on the Denver Broncos and plenty of fourth quarter rest for the important skill position players on the Miami Dolphins. The Buffalo Bills had a walkover experience down here in Prince George's County, Maryland last week against the Seawards and Riverboat Ron. So both teams coming in relatively healthy. The line is Buffalo at home favored by three. The total is 53 and a half. And I know that on both sides of the ledger, there's been some, you know, argument out there of the NFL uh, commentariat around why is this line kind of a standard Buffalo favored by three? Should having seen Miami do what it did last week to, to the Broncos, shouldn't Miami be favored? Miami's three and oh, there's this terrific tear that they've been on. And some folks on the Buffalo side where the look ahead line for this was what, five and a half? Yeah, f- five and a half on the preseason look ahead. I love to look back at, at, at my book, the preview, which I pull the lines during the summer, like at the beginning of July. And that was the line. It was the Bills at home favored by five and a half points. So. I know that you've done some deep work here and the observation that we made on the Thursday East Coast bias show uh, earlier Thursday, um, the fact that the Bills defense has quietly looked pretty good. They've given up two offensive touchdowns, a total of 29 points in their first three games. And, uh, you know, that they... um, had nine sacks last week against Sam Howe, four interceptions. Um, and, you know, there there is some thought around 
are we not giving the Bills defense enough credit? Are they underrated thus far into this season? On the other hand, Miami's offense, number one in passing, number one in rushing, number one on early downs, number one overall, you kind of get that um, outcome when you score, you know, touchdowns on, on what was it, uh, seven straight possessions, six straight possessions against the Broncos. So they, they, those efficiency numbers get pushed way up. So it's kind of fascinating here. I, I don't think that Buffalo um, has faced anything like an offense like Miami's. And Miami's um, defense hasn't seen an offense, I think, that, that, that is as uh, efficient as the Bills. But you, how are you uh, sizing this one up? Well, that last point, House, is so important that you just made there. And I love that you're thinking along those lines because you're right. This defense of the Buffalo Bills looks really good on the surface. Obviously, what they did last week to the commanders was a massively dominant performance. Uh, but one of the things that I'm looking at is that I start, it's way too early to really put too much emphasis on strength of schedule. But I do want to get an understanding of what it is. Um, and the Bills have yet to play an offense that has not ranked bottom five in either passing, rushing, or both. The Jets offense ranks 29th in passing and 26th in rushing. The Raiders offense, 8th in passing, but 28th in rushing. They can't run the ball for shit. And then the Commander's offense is 28th in passing, 6th in rushing. Their passing attack has been terrible. Their O-line can't protect Sam Howell. The Dolphins offense ranks number one in passing, rushing, and on early downs, and overall. Number one across the board in all of these areas. They don't have a weakness. They're not weak in the run game. They've improved that tremendously. Um, and the other thing that's interesting that the three teams that the Bills defense has faced this year, they're all terrible inside of the red zone. They all rank bottom 10. The Commanders 23rd, Raiders 25th, Jets 29th. The Dolphins offense ranks number two in my med red zone metric, which is not just what is your touchdown rate inside of the red zone, because I want to look at a few other factors there. I want to look at on a per play basis, because there's so few drives into the red zone that like just looking at, did you score a touchdown? I want to go beyond that. On a per play basis, how is your efficiency? The Dolphins are top five in success rate and EPA per play, as well as number two in actually rate of drives that they convert into touchdowns. Um, so they're excellent down there. They're also excellent on third downs. And the Jets and the Commanders offenses that the Bills defense played, literally the two worst third down offenses in the NFL. They also rank 30th and 32 in pass protection offensively. So they're not keeping their quarterbacks upright. Um, and I look at a lot of different factors with pass protection as well. I look at what is your EPA when you're pressured? What is your pressure rate? Um, and how often do pressures turn into sacks? That's where Washington is dead last in the NFL. Um, prior to the Bills game, Sam Howell was the worst quarterback in the NFL on pressure dropbacks to begin with. So it wasn't like, oh, well, the commanders were terrible. That's because the Bills put a lot of sacks on them. No, the commanders were terrible. How was getting sacked the most in the NFL on pressure dropbacks before even playing the Bills? So it was just like a feeding ground for the Bills in that game. The Dolphins rank number one in pass pro. They also rank top two in the rate of pressure, the EPA per dropback when they are pressured, and their sack rate when they're pressured. And the pressure is an interesting element to this game house because when I'm watching this game, here's something to pay attention to when you guys are watching this game at home. 
what are the Bills going to do defensively to try to get after Tua or to try to impact this passing attack? You've got to try to do something. Last year, the Bills had a standard blitz rate of only 19%, one of the lowest in the NFL, but they ratcheted that up against Tua to 31%. But when they did not blitz him, which was just about 70% of the time, he was gaining 9.5 yards per attempt. This year, the Bills have reduced their overall blitz rate down to only 11.5. That's the lowest rate in the NFL. They are not blitzing at all. They are also not getting any pressure with their blitzes. When they blitz, they're getting pressure on just 20% of dropbacks. That's the lowest rate in the NFL. The average is 43%. They are down at 20%. So what the Bills are doing here, House, is they're playing a ton of natural pressure. They're not blitzing. They're just allowing the natural pressure to get there. Well, Tua has been eating that up, not just this year, but last year as well against the Sean McDermott defense. So he feasts when you don't send pressure. But when the Bills do send pressure, they're getting pressure on the lowest rate of any team in the NFL. So it's like a lose-lose situation for them. Sit back, let Tua pick us apart, try to send pressure. We're the worst at actually getting there. So I'm wondering what Sean McDermott is going to do here. And then the other factor, before I toss it back to you on this one, House, is people are going out there. I've heard people, I've seen articles on it like, oh, well, Tua struggled against Sean McDermott's defense. You know, get, I'm going to apologize, but like, I do not give a shit what Tua did in 2020 when Chan fucking Gailey was the offense corner. <laughs> I do not give a crap when Eric Studesville and George Godsey were co-offensive coordinators back in 2021. Like, why in the world would I care about that? They played one game in their, under like semi-normal conditions. Obviously, it was very hot down in Miami last year at the start of the season. And Tua was great in that game. Average plus 0.35 EPA, 10.3 yards per attempt, completed 72% of his passes. They didn't score a ton of points. But Tua played really well against Sean McDermott's defense. By week 15 in the rematch last year, House, which was up in Buffalo, and Tua did play in that game, uh, Teron Armstead was beat up, but he did play through his injury. They were down two other starting offensive linemen in that game. There was a wind chill of 22 degrees. Tua was wearing special thermo gear, long sleeve undershirt with a jersey that they had hand warmer stitched into it. It was snowing in the game. And yes, he did not play well. I don't think that that game is reflective of like or representative of what he's going to deliver in this one. So I mean, but Everything you said about the other side of the ball is quite true as well. Like this defense, I think eventually is going to get there for the Miami Dolphins, but you can run on them a little bit and you can throw on them a little bit, especially the underneath stuff, which ironically is exactly what is to the Bills benefit this season. Because in the past, this team was a, with Brian Dayball particularly, an up-tempo, push the ball down the field, don't really run the ball that much, don't really throw a ton underneath. Right now, they've changed and morphed. They're throwing the ball shorter. They're running the ball more. And, and that's actually the weakness of the Dolphins defense, right? Like that's how, how do you think the Chargers had a ton of success? Like the Chargers had so much success against this team because Justin Herbert doesn't throw the ball way down the field. He's throwing it underneath and they were turning to the run a lot and they had a lot of success there. So it hasn't been playing to the strengths of Josh Allen per se, because he's got an arm like any, unlike anybody else, he could push the ball down the field. I don't love what their offense is doing, but it actually for this particular game is the perfect thing to do against Vic Fangio's defense. Yeah. If I knew, um, the, the health of Jalen Phillips, I might play a side here, but he's, he's listed. I think he's trending out. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want, I don't want to play this game now. 
because that he he is such an important element to that to that Dolphins defense. Um, he 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 is you know a, a jack of all trades. He sets everybody. You know he just puts everything in motion. With him questionable and trending out, I I don't want to play it. I'll just sit back and and enjoy it. I think if I was forced to do anything, I might play a tiny under. Might think that the number I think is like fifty three. And a half, and you know the overreaction based on. I think on the you can still hunt for a fifty-four. You're okay. right; it's not very frequent. FanDuel actually has fifty-three and a half juiced over minus twelve. There are a couple other books I am seeing that are fifty-four, um, and fifty-four is certainly a lot more valuable than fifty-three. Think about you know like thirty to twenty-four, the, uh, those types of scores. Yeah, well, you wouldn't recommend paying to get to the fifty-four though. I would not. I would be patient. Uh, you got to feel like the public is probably going to be betting the over here. Yeah. Um, yep, so unless yep, another yep. sharp group comes in and whacks it further, um, I think you could probably look for that. The other question you got to like reflect in your mind because the first half is an interesting number as well as 27. Um, that's a that's a pretty good number to take the under on if you like the under. Um, you don't just have to take the full game, especially if you're thinking like, well, this game might start a little bit more conservative, but then has a chance to get out of hand late, potentially, with like whoever's down going balls to the wall. Josh Allen's down. He's going to be pushing that ball down the field a lot more. Tua's down. I mean, they're not, probably not going to be running as much. They're going to be throwing it to Tyree Kill a billion times. So um, maybe you want to hope that they start a little bit more conservative if you're looking under. Well, let's talk about the uh, manner in which our Sundays are going to begin. Here on the East Coast, we can sort of go get coffee and leisurely have a little breakfast. And then there will be football on at 930 in the morning. The very early risers on the West Coast get football. You know, the, you grow, the, the, the crust still on your eyes. Just flip on the TV and you can catch the Falcons and the Jaguars at Wembley Stadium. I mention it only for the purpose of outlining to all the betting buddies out there the last seven games at Wembley have gone under the last five road games for the Atlanta Falcons have gone under any opportunity for me personally to play Desmond Ritter uh, as, as the starting quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons somewhere that is other than Atlanta. I'm playing the the under. That's my inclination. That's my angle. <laughs> That's my wager. Um the total is 43 and, and a half. Um, you know, we don't bet trends blindly around here. Um, but, you know, that that uh, Falcons offense struggled mightily against Detroit last week. And, you know, the, the, they, they, they really have a, 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 a problem at quarterback. I don't know how else to put it. Their defense is improved. They're allowing, you know, less than 300 total yards a game. But Ritter sacked seven times last week. He's a dump off uh, kind of passer. He's not very accurate. They the the Falcons offense 183 yards, two point yards per play. They had 18 run plays to 45 passes because they were down. Um, and you know, I, I I don't know what to do with the, with the Falcons because. They were uh, a pick that I looked at that I played on to win that NFC South, um, you know, slightly fading 
the Saints, but man, Ritter, he he ain't it, Sharpie. Yeah, well, I, the one thing I'll say is you don't, you don't, you shouldn't feel bad right now at taking like the team that's projected to finish dead last uh, to like win the division. Just like I have some of action on the Packers, I have some on the Falcons, just because they haven't looked like just because they played one bad game. Think about this. The last game that the Falcons played, what's in your mind right now is a game against the Lions. The Lions just went into Lambeau on a short week and manhandled and completely mauled the Green Bay Packers. So the fact that at home on a full rest, they took care of business against the Falcons. And keep in mind, what did I say that people need to remember about the Detroit Lions? Is that they're great at stopping the run and preventing runs from getting started yards before contact per rush attempt. Well, that's what the Falcons want to do. You know, the Falcons want to run the ball. So if you can stop the run, then you make the Falcons one dimensional. Then it relies on Desmond Ritter, which is exactly where you don't want to be if you're the Atlanta Falcons, because Ritter, as you mentioned, astutely is very, let's say he's beyond underwhelming. He is a problem for that offense right now and for Arthur Smith trying to figure out how we're going to build a competent offense that in modern football relies on passing. It's more efficient than running, but we have a liability at the quarterback position right now. How are we going to move the football? The good news is that for a few a few reasons for the Falcons. Number one, when they do need to pass the ball, the Jaguars haven't put up much of a fight. They rank 25th against the pass and consider this house. Yes, they played Patrick Mahomes, they also played two rookies, Anthony Richardson making his first start and CJ Stroud. And despite that, they've ranked number 25. They're below average in every single key metric, early downs, red zone, yards per attempt, overall success rate. They also rank 30th in pressure rate and 23rd in pressure efficiency. Ritter just faced three defenses that ranked average to above average in pressure rate. So it should be a step down in class facing the Jaguars. They should be able to run the football a little bit better. Uh, and so there's some reasons for optimism for the Atlanta Falcons in this spot. The other thing that the Falcons have going for them is that Trevor Lawrence has struggled down the field a little bit, and the Falcons are not allowing much down the field. Atlanta has allowed opposing passers to complete just 10 of 31 passes, 10 plus yards down the field, second best in the NFL. Um, so I, I do wonder if the Falcons are going to have that success. I know the the it's like the Jaguars have been on the precipice of getting this offense together and having success. And then it's a Calvin Ridley, one toe at, toenail out of bounds here, a dropped catch there. And like at some point, they're going to put it together. And if you're hoping the Falcons win, you're going to hope that the Jaguars don't put it together early in this game because the last thing you want to do is be playing the most of the last three quarters relying on Desmond Ritter. So if you're Atlanta, you absolutely must come in here as you mentioned, when the West Coast is what? Like this game's at 9.30. So at 6.30 a.m., if the West Coast guys have set their alarm, they're waking up. The one thing that they can't see if they're back in the Falcons is the Jaguars going up seven to nothing, you know, nine to three early in this game. Because you you cannot get down if you're the Atlanta Falcons by by a touchdown or more early because you're going to be playing massive catch up here. Um, I have not bet this game. I don't know if I'm going to bet this game. I would probably tend to agree with you in looking towards the under here. 
particularly like, again, we're talking halves a lot house, but like the first half is 21 and a half. And unless oh. the Jaguars come out and score a bunch of, you know, deeper passes, like the, I can guarantee you Arthur Smith's not coming in here with this game plan. Like, hey, let's get Desmond Ritter to throw the ball on first and second down deep down the field to try to expose this Jaguars defense. I mean, they're going to try to make sure he doesn't mess up the game early. So it's it's got to be long drives and, they, and you got to hope that if you're betting the over here that they end in sevens because otherwise I... I presume we're going to have like some clock eating drives from the Atlanta Falcons offense. Yeah. And, and maybe the right thing to do is to caution everybody with starting off their day with a big dose of Desmond Ritter. Go get a donut <laughs> instead. Maybe that's the right play. Well, I, I need you now. We are going to move to uh, a game that, you know, we, we just gave a giant bouquet of flowers to the Detroit Lions. We said they're not your grandma's Detroit Lions anymore. And I want to talk about these Cleveland Browns who are at home hosting the Baltimore Ravens. They are favored by two and a half points at the moment. And the the total in that game, I believe right now is 40 and a half. Is that right? 40 and a half? 40 and a half over minus 15 at FanDuel. Yes, sir. Yeah. So here's where I need your help. I don't think these Cleveland Browns are your granddaddy's Cleveland Browns. This defense is unbelievable. They had the number one defensive success rate in week one, and they had the number one defensive success rate in week two, and then they had the number one defensive success rate in week three. And, you know, the the certainly folks that pay attention to the NFL are absolutely taking notice. And starting to think about, do we do we dare compare this defense to some of those legendary defenses of the past? Do we dare imagine the Cleveland Browns fitting into that mode and model of like the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, a team you know that that uh, led uh, itself all the way to a a Super Bowl by by just keeping other teams from scoring 14 points a game, essentially. And and not worrying about offense, um, the the trends all work absolutely against Cleveland because of the history of the Cleveland Browns and you know the Baltimore Ravens as an underdog. They're nineteen three and one against the spread. You know, there's all all kinds of they're twelve and three against the spread in their last fifteen games in Cleveland. The Browns are one and seven against the spread. After a win, uh, you know, there's all kinds of stuff uh, that that works against the Browns in a, in a um, trend kind of way. But I just can't get over what we've seen out of this Browns defense. Is this one where we need to look further into? We need to do a deeper dive into the offenses that they've gone up against, or can we go ahead and start calling them elite? And, you know, recognize just just how uh, dominant they're they're capable of being um, and and go ahead and say that this is a a Cleveland Browns team that's ready to flip the script. Well, I think we need to consider who they've played. They've played the Bengals, Steelers and Titans offenses. These offenses rank number 29 to number 32. So 
part of that ranking is because they played the Browns, right? So there's a lot of, um, I guess you could call it like incestual activity as it relates to these <laughs> strength of schedules because like there's real close relations with this team is bad, but that's because they played that team that's great and they haven't played very many other teams. So the rate, the percentage of their own rating is heavily influenced by this great Browns defense that they played. Um, so I think it's appropriate to contemplate it, but also clearly like the eye test is important here to just realize what this team is doing to their opponents. And when I look at the Baltimore Ravens, you know, my biggest concern is you you want to be careful how much you take early in the season week to week because um, things change in different game plans and circumstances and whatnot. But you're looking at this Baltimore Ravens team. And while I bet on the Colts, and I certainly was happy for them to win outright, I was shocked at how the Ravens' offense did not attack the weakness of the Colts' defense, which was the secondary. Did not try to push the ball down the field at all. I know it was like raining a little bit. Like you, you, you live in the DMV. That storm was uh, much weaker than anybody I think anticipated. It yeah, was like it dropped like a ton of rain, and, but that's all. Yeah, and 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 most of it, like a lot of it, was the heavy stuff was out of here before kickoff. It really wasn't that big of a deal. There Didn't was no win. The game. And, 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 and yet this team like Lamar would drop back and there would be pressure and he would fumble the ball. Okay. So maybe the ball's a little bit slick. I get it. But then it's like after a few drives, they just said, Hey, you know, let's just go back to what Greg Roman was doing here. I, I feel like they just converted to the Greg Roman offense, which was a lot of short underneath passes and let's try to be creative with the run game. And that's the strength of the Colts. It's stopping the run. That's one they're best at. And you're not attacking what they're weak at, which is the downfield passing. And then I'm looking at who the Ravens have healthy in. The downfield weapons that they have that we wanted to see, we wanted that what, they, what we were thinking, what they did in the preseason, new offensive coordinator, lots of 11 personnel. Spread the field, push the ball down the field, be very creative. Well, Rashad Bateman hasn't practiced the last two days. Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't practiced the last two days. Um, so Edwards yes, they're is, getting back. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're getting back like Ronnie Stanley, who's practicing in limited fashion. They're getting back Tyler Linderbaum. Maybe, maybe uh Lamar doesn't die in the pocket because of this pass rush, right? But like these guys in their first game back, are they really gonna be a hundred percent? ready to go. Maybe they buy Lamar a little extra, extra tick, maybe a few more plays he's not pressured on, but I don't know that they're going to be consistently able to deal with this pass rush. And if you don't have the downfield weapons, I, I see another game like we saw last week in some context, but we, which is a lot of underneath stuff from Lamar. And the other thing that, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting is yes, we know that there is a clear recipe of how to attack the Tennessee Titans. It's not to run the ball. It's to throw the ball down the field on them. And Deshaun Watson, you know, uh, uh, that was a game that I liked his uh, passing yards prop. He went over easily. All the guys, I didn't bet uh, like Amari Cooper overs probably should have because that was an easy one. But that's an easy, like a funnel, pass funnel defense. You don't want to run against them. You want to pass the ball. The Ravens are going to be without probably Marlon Humphrey. The Ravens are without a couple of other guys in the back half of the, the game, although Kyle Hamilton did practice in limited fashion today, so hopefully he's back for them. Um, but I think the Ravens' defense is going to be able to handle the Browns' offense a lot better than the Titans' were. The Titans' secondary is just, just a disaster. And for that reason, 
in addition to uh, one of the metrics that I wanted to talk to you about, which is our friends, the refs, um, I think that this game plays towards the under. And as a result, um, I was looking at the first half under. Uh, I also think that the full game under is probably appropriate if you can't get a good number on the first half. Um, but the referee for this game has called 27 of 42 games at 65% under the total in divisional games in his career. Um, mm. So divisional games, these hardly hard contested games against rivalry teams. He tends to call these games towards the under. Um, things tend to also favor the home team a lot in games that he refs home teams have won an above average 60% of games across like over 110 games, I think sample size approximately for this guy since 2016. And as a result, I, I would lean towards the Browns. I would lean towards the under. I like it. I have no reason to, to do anything different. This is the, the way I wanted to go. It's one of my favorite angles on the board. We didn't even talk about Lamar Jackson under pressure thus far this season. It hasn't been very good. His completion percentage is under 50% and his uh, average, you know, yards per pass is like under four yards. Um, so I, I like the team that's capable of mounting a, an immense amount of, of pressure. And I think Jim Schwartz has been, you know, throwing fastballs every week. Um, and especially you mentioned, I was, I was, uh, you were talking about the injuries to the wide receivers and I was trying to mention also Gus Edwards and the concussion protocol, which, you know, factors into, um, you know, the, 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 the way that, that Cleveland can game plan for this, uh, Ravens offense. I, you know, understand exactly the risks that I'm taking by investing in the Browns and going against uh, Harbaugh in this in this situation, but I, I think I'm inclined to do it. This is this feels like one of the plays I want to make this week. Yeah, I don't disagree. All right. Speaking of of plays I might want to make this week, Sharpie, we are very interested in the New England Patriots going down to Dallas. Dallas is favored by six and a half. The total is forty three and a half, and you know, in, in over the course of, of, of seven days, Dallas went from being, you know, arguably the, the, the best looking team in the, in the NFL after they beat the Giants and the Jets by 60 combined points. Then during the, the course of, of the week, uh, practice, Tra uh, Trayvon Diggs is out for the season with a, a knee injury and they show up flat in Arizona. And the defense is giving up explosive plays. And there are red zone issues with the Cowboys offense. And Dallas is committing double-digit penalties. And all of a sudden, every all the enthusiasm for Dallas is out the window. On the other side, New England's offense continues to, to, to just underperform. And I think it's fair. To, to ask, you know, how did New England enter this season with the skill positions manned, you know, at, at, at the, in the manner that they are? Um, and, and, you know, is there going to be a Mac Jones um, resurgence at some point? Because we just, New England is within a score in the fourth quarters of these games and can't 
um, you know, get over the hump. So, uh, it's an interesting spot with Dallas coming off of a loss and, and, you know, New England getting its first win of the season. It feels like too many points to me, the six and a half, um, because of, of how impressive the New England defense has been, but I'm not really that excited to invest in kind of either team. What I'm looking at is the total at 43 and a half. And when I think about the inefficiency of Dallas in the red zone and size that up, line it up against just the overall inefficiency of the New England offense in general with the disappointment that Ramonde Stevenson has been the, thus far this season, I, I, I kind of like the under here. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, they're number three in EPA per play outside of the red zone. They're number eight in success rate outside of the red zone. Uh, 52% of their possessions have reached the red zone or scored before that. That's only behind the Miami Dolphins. Um, and so this offense has been fine most areas of the field. It's just inside of that red zone. And it's ironic that Mike McCarthy, you know, after week one and after week two, he's winning games, conducting these on-field interviews, saying how great it is to be calling plays again. When in reality, in those games, House, his offense didn't really have to do anything. The defense was winning those games for him. So he's like patting himself on the back. Oh yeah, play calling's great. I was so happy to be able to do it again. And all of a sudden, when you need the fucking plays, when you need to be able to <laughs> score to give it, he's nowhere to be found. You know, he's calling in the crap. Like he that's all he got. So um they they've converted only 40% of their red zone possessions for touchdowns. Uh they aren't just getting unlucky either because I like to look at the per play basis, not just how frequently those drives are scoring. They're number 24 in success and number 25 in EPA per play inside the red zone. Outside of the red zone, I just mentioned they were number three and number eight. So it's simply bad calls. They're calling in bad plays. They they, they got good plays elsewhere. They have bad red zone plays. And that's bad against the New England Patriots. They've allowed only 19% of possessions to reach the red zone or score before, second best in the NFL. Their defense has been really good. I've always, it's always interesting to watch the New England Patriots. And what I have to wait for, House, is the final injury report in this game. I need to see that New England Patriots defense had a number of players that were on the defensive side of the ball that were issues last week in the rain against the Jets. And I still bet the Jets team total under, but that was a concern to me. And we got to get those guys back, especially against the Dallas Cowboys offense. So, I, I I don't disagree that I think if the Patriots are going to keep this one close, it's got to be because of their defense and Mac Jones cannot make mistakes. He cannot give up short fields. He cannot give up points to the Dallas Cowboys defense because that would also send this game over the total. Yeah. So fun to watch. Great to see Belichick in Dallas. Blah, blah, Naturally, blah, sharp blah, money blah. has come in. I mean, come in on the seven, taking the seven. I even see House a couple of six appear. Oh, I see a couple okay. of sixes appear. So All right. like th there is some sharp money back in the side that you kind of were leaning to the New England Patriots. It's true. It feels like too many points to me. Um but I don't I don't really want to take a side. I do have a perspective on the Sunday night football game which we will get to here in a moment and of course you put out the siren call, the bat signal to all the betting buddies to send us their favorite wagers. As usual, the timeline is chock full of uh, great uh, recommendations, crowdsourcing the, the the bets. And, you know, I, we have a best bet. I mean, we're only 3-0 and 
thus far in the season. Try and bet the house, give out an, another winner for everybody. All that when we come back, Warren Sharp. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. All right, and we're back. Speaking of Mike McCarthy patting himself on the back house, you need to pat yourself on the back. I'll do it for you because you actually deserve it, unlike him. 3-0 and on Bet the House. Last week, you hit another winner with the Titans Cleveland Browns under. We'll get to the Bet the House this week momentarily. First, let's talk about the Sunday night game. You got uh, Patrick Mahomes traveling to New York. We got another uh, viewing of, of uh, the all-famous pop star, yes. rock star, yes. singer, actress, uh, you name it, she does it all. Taylor Swift's going to be there uh, as well. What do you make of this game, House? What I make of it is, let's get FanDuel to write a prop. Number of times we see Taylor Swift in the box. Uh, I'll set, Super Bowl I'll set style. the number. It's a, let's set the number at nine and a half, and I'll gladly take the over because, you know, it's the thing that the people want to see. It's Sunday night football. You know what they don't want to see? What's happening on the football field when the New York Jets are on offense because Zach Wilson is still the starting quarterback. The line is nine and a half. The total is 41 and a half. I love the Chiefs laying the number. This is not a number I'm afraid of against the Jets. And I love the under in this game because I can't get to 10 points for the Jets. And that means the Chiefs can just run out in the first half and grab 31 points and let the Jets go ahead and get to, 
you know, they're three or whatever, and maybe they score a touchdown late, and that's 31 to 10, and the Chiefs have covered, and it's an under, and we see Taylor Swift 10 to 12 times, and everybody goes to bed with a smile on their face Sunday night. House, do you like conspiracy theories? <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this show long enough. You know the answer to that. Of course I do. Okay. You know how there's a lot of talk that Andy Reid set this couple up, like who was the one responsible for this? My conspiracy theory is that Roger Goodell set this up after Aaron Rodgers goes down with a season-ending injury. He does not have the spotlight on the New York Jets any longer. He's not going to make money because the whole plan was to show Aaron Rodgers at home in a game like this, in prime time, in New York, the skyline, everybody, the blimps flying in, uh, all this stuff going on there. So you lose Aaron Rodgers, but you gain Taylor Swift. What more could like you ask for? I definitely think that this is all part of it. Uh, I mean, 100% over on nine and a half for certain uh they're going to try to get as much of her into this broadcast do you know how many people watched that last mm. game as soon as the little swifties started telling each other dialing on the phone i mean they're all on the text message apps and all these other little software apps that they communicate with nowadays they're all coming in feeding in to the nfl numbers roger goodell is doing cartwheels over it uh as far as the game i agree this chief's defense no joke they are better than you think. They are much better than last year, and they are doing nothing but going to get better every single week because Steve Spagnuolo usually starts off slower and gets better. Yeah, I know they played the Bears last week. Watch what happens on Sunday night. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch this Chiefs defense. Uh, and we're going to have, a, I'll just tease ahead, there's something related to uh, betting buddies that we'll be talking about momentarily as it relates to that game. But um, House, let's do the uh, uh, segment we call Scanning the Board. We're looking at the betting board, seeing if there's anything that jumps out intriguing from a line perspective, something that might smell a little funky to you. What was that bet this week? What is that game yeah, this week? Yeah, so I, I um, have a question mark uh, in, in pencil next to that Chargers Raiders line, which is sitting dead in the middle of the Vegas zone right now, minus five, the Chargers at home. We put at home in quotes because Raiders Nation travels. It's an easy trip to get from Vegas to L.A. The Chargers don't have any fans in L.A. anyhow. But there is still an open question about who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Raiders. So it feels like potentially some closing line value opportunity to jump in. And and it's it's a worthwhile risk if Jimmy G, who is in concussion protocol, ends up not playing this game, what does this number end up at? Doesn't it go up by, if Brian Hoyer is the starter, and that's what the, the Raiders have, I think, indicated, the line goes to what, seven, seven and a half? The Raiders' defense is horrendous. We know that the, the Chargers will be able to move the ball. If it's not Jimmy G back there, who with all, all of his faults does have you know, it demonstrated a little bit of a relationship with, with Devontae Adams already if, if he doesn't get him killed. And, you know, there there is, a, a, you know, some capacity for moving the ball with Jimmy G at quarterback. If he's not the quarterback, where does this line end up? Well, I'll just tell you, I just looked in my book at what was the summer line for this game. The summer line for this game was the Chargers favored by six. That obviously assumed Jimmy G is playing, right? Uh, it assumed everybody's going to be playing. But we definitely thought a little bit worse about the Raiders than 
at that point because I was definitely on their unders. The team itself is playing a little bit better. Thank goodness for me, they've got a boneheaded head coach who is making (laughs) Mike Wargon tear up things and probably break stuff at his house Uh, each night. The Wargon Warrior Raiders fan. It's 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 got to be one of the most depressing uh, things to be a fan of is watching Josh McDaniels ruin things for you late and not even give you an opportunity to tie the game, send us to overtime, etc. But um, I don't disagree, House. Like this is one of those lines that's a, a middle type line where they're not they don't know what to do, so they're just putting it here. They're giving you a blended rate. Maybe it's Jimmy G, so we're going to partially include Jimmy G. Maybe it's not Jimmy G, so we're partially not going to include him. And certainly this line is not sitting at five. If it's not Jimmy G, it's going higher. If it is Jimmy G, I think it ticks down a little bit lower, but you're, you're, it's one of those scenarios where you have a lot more to gain by laying the five, because I don't think if it's Jimmy G, this thing's going anywhere close to three. And But there's a chance that it goes to seven if it's not Jimmy G. And therefore, you have a better risk tolerance to go ahead and take it now. I think you're going to get um, a better value if you end up doing that. See, I like it when we do something where it seems like I might be um, leaning in a smart direction, making the right call because it sets everybody up for exactly the opposite of what I'm going to do here. It's time for the (laughs) Bet the House segment, and I can't believe we're all the way into week four, Warren Sharp, and I haven't played a Moneyline parlay yet. I just I can't believe. Here we are. Um, Now, haven't had an opportunity to talk about. It could be why house, by the way, that you are three and zero. Oh, but let's just you know keep going. <laughs> sure, okay. Well, look, we we started off at the top of the show talking about um, the divisional underdogs. So, of course, what I'm doing this week is playing two home divisional favorites in a money line parlay. Made the case already for Cleveland. Cleveland is minus 146 at home against the Baltimore Ravens. You understand the risk of of playing Cleveland. The history is against it, but I think this Cleveland team is a different one. And I can't miss uh, out on the opportunity to bet on the Philadelphia Eagles this week. I think what they showed us, I know it's a short week for them, but what they showed us in terms of controlling um, the line, both on uh, their offensive line and their defensive line, what that means for Washington, what that means for poor Sam Howe, you, they they rushed four all night long against Baker Mayfield and made him extremely uncomfortable. And he was, you know, the Baker Mayfield under pressure. Not They didn't blitz. They didn't have to blitz. The Baker Mayfield under pressure, you know, it. I just immediately was like, poor Sam Howe. The numbers are extraordinarily bad. He is bad under pressure. And it's something that the team will be working on. He's dead last in the league by many, many of the pressure metrics. You know, the number of times that a pressure gets converted into a sack. And now the advanced analytics can separate out who's responsible for the fact that this pressure turned into a sack. Was it the quarterback's fault or the line's fault? And more often than not, it's been Sam Howell's fault. And that's the reason why he leads the league with 19 sacks, and that's the reason why Washington has he has all of these interceptions. Philadelphia, the last time that they hosted Washington, Washington ended their undefeated season on a Monday night football. I think that they're ready. The the Philadelphia money line is minus 420. The Cleveland money line is minus 146. That those two combined, you get plus money, and it's a it's a plus 108. Um, 
I just love the opportunity here, Sharpie. I can't help myself. Well, I want to tell you, if you're going to be playing some Moneyline favorites, you're picking some smart strategies for the reason of these aren't good games to tease, right? And so you want to play money lines when it's not appropriate to tease, because generally speaking, like if you if it fits in a six-point teaser and goes through the seven and the three, don't play that on a money line. Figure out how to use it in a teaser, even if it requires you to play an open teaser that will you could close next week. Tease those types of games. When you got a nine-point favorite, though, that is not, you can't use a sixer on that. That'll take you only down to three. You want to go through the three. So that's a good money line favorite to play. And of course, you're not going to be teasing a three-point favorite at home, even if it's some spots, it's a two and a half. You're not going to be teasing that through the zero. So again, I can't fault you for that. That's a smart, uh, smart decision on your part to pair up teams that are not good teaser legs to begin with. Yeah, no guarantee that we're going to keep this streak alive, but those were just two legs of a money line parlay. We haven't played any money line parlays this week. I can't quit them. I'm back. You know what else I can't quit? That's looking at the timeline and celebrating with all the betting buddies, the wonderful suggestions that they're giving us, the tremendous plays. Now, thus far this season, Sharpie, you know, I I think we like to get a little crazy. We dabble in the exotics. We let the betting buddies really, we give them a lot of leash. I mean, we're playing all kinds of, last week we elected one. Again, we were in, we we went with Cleveland. It was like the Cleveland money line and it was uh, the under for the Titans um, team total. And then it was an anytime touchdown by the Cleveland defense that paid almost 11 to one. Now it's crazy talk. But two of those three legs hit and, you know, the, the, the one that didn't hit was the one that was least likely to hit, which was the anytime defensive touchdown. I think this week we will, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it in our pants this week. We're going to button it up a little bit. Just try and find a winner for everybody. Uh, I know that we circled a few in the timeline. Let's chat about it. Yeah. And, and look, if we want to get crazy here, we, we do have a four leg parlay coming up from the East Coast bias guys. But but you guys are the pros. You know, you guys know what you're doing. This is on the Chargers Raiders game. Uh that's going to be in the socials. So you need to check that out on the Ringer Socials. Uh four leg parlay from the East Coast bias guys on the Raiders Chargers game. But you guys have a little bit better handle on what you're going to be doing. Uh let's go with the more standard things. And and so I've got Three different ones that I'm going to share with you. You've got one. Let's rattle these off here. One guy, I assume it's a guy. Actually, it could be a girl. I don't know. Taylor Maj. We talk about Taylor Swift. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, Taylor Maj has a interesting strategy, which is Joe Burrow passing. So over 24 and a half completions, minus 114 at FanDuel. Over 37 and a half attempts. Minus 114 at FanDuel. The thought process is the way to beat the Titans is to pass the ball. Dinking and dunking is what he was doing last week against the Rams. That was at home. Now he has less time to prepare. Shorter week. They're not going to be able to run the ball at all against the Titans. The way to move the ball is through the air. You don't have to push the ball down the field deep. That Because that's only one attempt, and that could only result in one completion if it's made. But all these underneath type things... That could still work. The Titans are, in fact, the 30th defense in the NFL against passes thrown within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So the short stuff still works. Those are two from Taylor. Then an interesting one. Is that, it a parlay or just just two different? No, 
No, so we're not no parlays here. Nothing too exotic. That one is just a sh- two straight ones that this this uh, Taylor suggested. Cal, uh, Jason Jason Lower at J underscore L O E H R. He recommended Calvin Ridley's revenge game. The Jacksonville Jaguars against Atlanta. Wake up in the morning if you want oh. a little action on the London game with the spotted teammate. Uh, you know that's obviously not uh, <laughs> British. I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, Calvin job. Ridley. Anytime touchdown parlayed with Calvin Ridley over 66 and a half receiving yards pace, just over two to one, uh, plus 207 at FanDuel. So he These likes great that bets. one. I like that one too. It's correlated. It's, it's not, it's not bad yeah. at all. These are good bets. Great job. And then what's, buddies. what's one, what's one that you were looking at as we scrolled through the timeline? So what caught my eye, Sharpie? Again, we're just trying to go right down. The middle. We want to give out a winner here. We want to break the streak for the betting buddies at Mark Fisher or no Mark Fisher is the guy. And then, then he yep. has the Twitter handle. The handle is at M fish two, two, four. Yes. So he's doing the chief's money line and he's doing the Zach Wilson under 177 and a half yards. That's the Taylor Swift parlay of, of the week. And I think that pays plus money. It's like plus 118. Plus something. 120. Plus, plus 120. Plus 120 at FanDuel. Let's go. Great job by Mark Fisher. But I do want to give a shout out to the other two that we talked about. Those are great plays. I am going to play all three of these this week. I'm down with the betting buddies. Mark Fisher and the Travis Kelsey smile. That's the play of the week, Sharpie. But, you know, we we, we have lots of good ones to, to, to chew on. Thanks. Thanks to to the betting buddies. Great job. Yeah, no, they 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 did a good job, and I think we're trying to find a winner here. We've isolated a few, not bad bets across the board from any of these three contestants, and I think you've got a good good uh, good one there that should hopefully bring us home. So we we got the all bases covered, though. House, we've got a the London game that starts off Sunday morning, and then we also shared one that closes out the day on Sunday, the Taylor Swift parlay. So we Boom. got them all working for us. Boom. Boom. We did it. We did it. That, so that that makes it a show. We we can call it a wrap. We did it, Sharpie. We will wrap it. So thank you everyone for listening. The Ringer Gambling Show will return on Monday when the East Coast Bias guys get back together to recap the weekend and preview Monday night football. Thanks to Joe House for joining me and to Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. Good luck with all your bets this weekend. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT-STEP to 533-42. In Connecticut, you can call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, 
1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. Visit in Maryland, mdgamblinghelp.org. In West Virginia, you can visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Or in Wyoming, you can call 1-800-522-4700. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call in New York 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 